0: And with that, I encourage you to have your Bibles handy. As I mentioned earlier in the service, we are going to be finishing up the Beatitudes today. That's the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher of all time. Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we're making our way through those three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount over the next few months. And uh, this month, in the month of January, we've been focused in on the first section of that message Uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. This last week I was listening to a sermon uh, by Pastor John Piper, and it was a message uh, geared uh, to the the Beatitudes. He was specifically uh, making his way to preaching a sermon on uh, this Beatitude that we'll look at this morning, the uh, seventh Beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers. And as he was beginning that sermon, John Piper said this, He said, "...with each beatitude, another nail is driven into a coffin. Inside the coffin lies the corpse of a false understanding of salvation. The false understanding says that a person can be saved without being changed, or that a person can inherit eternal life, even if his attitudes and actions are like the attitudes and actions of unbelievers." I want us to take a few minutes before we dive into this seventh beatitude and and really process these deep words that John Piper shares. I think these are some marvelous, eye-opening insights. Think again about what he says here. With each beatitude, another nail is driven into the coffin that contains a false understanding of salvation. Remember that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5 through 7 was primarily aimed at His followers. Those who had already made a decision to follow Him as the King of the Jews and as their Savior and Lord. There were hundreds, maybe even thousands of people on the mountainside as Jesus taught this great sermon. But they weren't His primary focus. His primary focus was on His disciples. And this sermon, as he aimed it at his disciples, was teaching them how to follow him as king as they lived within the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus begins this great sermon, he gives his followers these eight beatitudes, these eight blessed are statements. Uh, Remember what they are? These are wonderful to memorize, by the way, if you haven't done so at some point in the past. These are great to hide on your mind and heart. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on after that to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Oops, I said that one already. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I mixed up the order a little bit because uh, my memory's not what it used to be but I'm trying to relearn and memorize these great beatitudes because I really want to hide them on my heart. Every one of these eight beatitudes is countercultural. Every one of them is uh flies in the face of conventional wisdom. Uh, none of them are viewed by the world as uh, key steps on the road to success. None of them are. So John Piper is making the really important point that every one of these eight Beatitudes demolishes the notion that you and I can be saved without experiencing change in our lives. It blows out of the water this notion that we can call ourselves Christians without living any different than the way we lived before we were saved. By definition, a follower of Christ is a... Follower of Christ, right? Yeah, a follower of Christ, by definition, has to be a follower of Christ. And these eight Beatitudes teach us how to follow him well. And so as they teach us how to follow him, it's important to understand that they teach us to follow him in a way that is radically different from the way that we used to live. The way we follow Jesus as we carry out these Beatitudes is 180 degrees from the conventional wisdom of this sinful culture we live in. There's no way around it. Jesus' followers must be different than the world around them. And we must live different than the way we used to live. Citizens of heaven live a changed life. The word of God says we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We have to live a changed life. So Jesus basically begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Citizens of heaven... Do not live the way you used to live. And don't live like the rest of the world lives. Instead of being rich in spirit, I want you to be poor in spirit. Instead of ignoring your own sin, I want you to mourn over your own sin. Instead of being arrogant and reckless, I want you to be meek. Instead of doing what is wrong, I want you to do what is right. Instead of being callous, I want you to be merciful. Instead of having corrupt hearts, I want you to have pure hearts. Friends, I can't overemphasize how vital the Beatitudes are for our everyday lives as we follow Jesus Christ as our our Savior and Lord. We're no longer citizens of earth. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And these Beatitudes teach us how to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven and do what Jesus Christ calls us to do. Oh, it teaches us how to live this brand new life that Christ has given to us. These Beatitudes show us what our brand new life should look like. Amen? And so let's continue our study of these great Beatitudes. Today we'll be looking at the seventh and eighth Beatitude, the final two, and you'll find them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Let's look at these one at a time. First of all, blessed are the peacemakers. We'll find that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. And this is how God's word reads. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers is a translation of the Greek word. I don't pronounce this one particularly well, but I'll take a stab at it. Ireno which can be translated as peaceable or loving peace. And as we've seen already, every bat- beatitude that Jesus gives here in Matthew chapter 5 is 180 degrees from conventional wisdom. It's really topsy-turvy. It's upside down when we look at conventional wisdom. And this seventh beatitude is no exception. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. Many people in our culture, when they hear the word peacemaker, uh, think of this. <laughs> yeah, that's true, isn't it? A lot of people think of this. They think of a Colt single-action revolver, better known as the peacemaker. A lot of people, when they hear peacemaker, think of a revolver. But what do you think the chances are that Jesus had something different in mind? I think the chances are pretty good. Throughout the New Testament, God's word calls us to pursue peace. An occult revolver is never mentioned once. A few examples. Jesus tells us in Mark 9, 50, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. How about Romans twelve eighteen? It says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. And then James 3:17 and 18, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now, I want you to notice something interesting. Let's keep that uh, verse up on the screen for you. Uh, Notice something interesting here in James 3. It it doesn't say that the wisdom from heaven is, first of all, peace-loving. Instead, it says the wisdom from heaven is, first of all, what? It's, first of all, pure. You see that? The wisdom from heaven is, first of all, pure. Now if we go back to Matthew 5, 9, Jesus gives us the seventh beatitude and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Let me ask you, what was the sixth beatitude? What was the beatitude that Jesus gave immediately before giving this seventh beatitude to be a peacemaker? That sixth beatitude is this, blessed are the pure in heart. Now is this a coincidence? Is it a coincidence that there in James 3 it says wisdom from heaven is pure before it is peace loving? Is it a coincidence that Jesus said blessed are the pure in heart before he said blessed are the peacemakers? I don't think so. No coincidence is here. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. It is definitely not a coincidence. Here's a very important truth that I don't want you to miss today. Here it is. Without purity, there will be no peace. In order to be a peace lover and a peace maker, we must first be pure in heart. You catch that? Without purity of heart, there is no peace. Without purity, there will be no peace. True peace springs from a foundation of a heart that has been purified by Christ Which means that if peace is built on a foundation of anything other than Christ's purity, what kind of peace is it? We would call that a false peace, wouldn't we? Any foundation other than the foundation of Christ's purity upon which you build peace or try to build peace is going to produce a peace that is a false peace. It's a very important reminder in this day and age when there's so much talk about pursuing peace in our world. There's talk about peace in the Middle East and peace in Washington, D.C. and peace in America. 2020 was a rough year where Americans, in many cases, were fighting like cats and dogs. And so we've been talking a lot about peace in our nation over the past year. But the bottom line is, if the foundation of that so-called peace is anything other than the Prince of Peace, then that peace will be at best shallow and temporary. It's a simple truth of Scripture. That peace at best will be shallow and temporary. The peace that comes from a, a cult single-action revolver is at best shallow and And temporary. The peace deals that have been struck recently in the Middle East, as encouraging as they sound, are at best temporary and shallow. Any peace ushered in by our president or our senators or our congressmen is at best shallow and temporary because it's not grounded in the purity that comes through Jesus Christ alone. When we shove the Prince of Peace onto the back burner in our nation and try to pursue peace without him, we may think that we've been successful, but time will show that peace is both shallow and temporary. Never forget that in any relationship that is right, purity must come first. Peace comes second. So I want you to say that with me. Purity comes First, peace comes second. One more time. Purity comes first. Peace comes second. Which leads to this important lesson. God wants you to be at peace in your relationships, but never at the expense of your purity. Please never forget that. God wants you to be at peace in your relationships, but never at the expense of purity. If you have to lie or cheat or steal or in any way compromise your integrity on the road to peace, then you're on the wrong road. You're on the wrong road. You're on the road to the wrong kind of peace. So don't do it. Many Christian wives think that they have to lie to their husbands to keep the peace. Well, ladies, that's the wrong road to be on. That's not real peace. It's a false peace. Many kids and teenagers think that they have to cheat on their assignments to keep their grades up, to keep peace with their parents at home. Students, that's not real peace. That's a false peace. Many of us, when we get around non-Christian friends, we change the way that we talk and we change the way that we act so that we'll fit in and, and not stand out. We think we're keeping the peace with our friends and not rocking the boat. That is not true peace. That's a false peace that ultimately doesn't do your friends any good. Impurity never leads to true lasting peace. Only purity leads to true lasting peace. So once we have that foundation of purity, how do we become peacemakers? Well, let's spend a few minutes on that. Well, peacemaking is all about bringing peace to relationships. And the most important relationship that needs peace is, of course, your relationship with God. It's the most important relationship in the universe for you, your relationship with your creator God. And Jesus is the only true peacemaker when it comes to that greatest relationship. There is nothing you can do to bring peace between you and God without Christ. Only Christ can do it. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason you and I can have peace with God is because of Christ. He spilled his blood, and that paved the way for us to experience peace with God. When it comes to making peace between us and God, Jesus, once again, is really the only true peacemaker. So, That brings us to our question, well, what kind of peacemakers is Jesus calling us to be then? Well, here in this seventh beatitude, he's not calling us to be peacemakers with God because only Jesus can do that. He's calling us to be peacemakers with each other. He's calling us to be peacemakers with people. And the most important way that we could ever bring about peace in our relationships with people is to lead people to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Because just as for you, your most important relationship in the universe is your relationship with God. Every single person around you, whether they recognize it or admit it or not, the most important relationship should be their relationship with their creator, God. And so the the greatest thing that you could ever do to bring about peace in your relationships is to lead people to the Prince of Peace, to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, you can't make peace between them and God, but you can lead them to the one who can. You can lead them to Jesus Christ. That makes sense, doesn't it? If people's greatest need is peace with God, then the greatest way that you you and I could ever be peacemakers is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. You'll never be a true peacemaker who will be called a Son of God if you're not leading those around you to becoming sons of God as well. Well, that having been said, let me share with you four keys to becoming a peacemaker in your relationships with other people. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, it doesn't matter. These are four keys that are applicable to any human relationship that you are in. Four keys. I'll go through them quickly because we have another beatitude to cover together. Key number one, stay humble. Key number one is to stay humble. I want you to remember what that first beatitude is. The first beatitude, remember, is blessed are the poor in spirit. Translation, blessed are the humble. We spent some time talking about that a few weeks ago. Blessed are the humble. The first beatitude is the first beatitude for a reason. Jesus was making it clear, if you cannot come to God humbly, you cannot come to God at all. And if you can't come to God humbly, then you have no business moving on to the other seven beatitudes. It's foundational. Blessed are the humble. If you are arrogant and full of yourself, you will inevitably say things and do things to others that damage your relationships. If you aren't humble, you will be a peace breaker. Not a peacemaker. So, step number one, key number one, is to stay humble. Key number two, once you come to God and and, and come to your other relationships with some modicum of, of humility, then you need to repent of your sin. That's key number two, repent of your sin. Remember that the second beatitude is the second beatitude for a reason. Jesus says, number one, blessed are the humble. That's the poor in spirit. And number two, blessed are those who mourn. The expanded phrase of that we could say is blessed are those who mourn over their own sin. Blessed are those who grieve over their own sin. We have to come to Christ repentant. And we have to address our relationships, especially when we've messed up, especially when we failed with a spirit of repentance. Once you humble yourself before God, you must grieve over your own sin and turn from it. If you don't think that your mean and hurtful words to others are really mean and hurtful, then you're not going to be a peacemaker. Don't be surprised if you've got some broken relationships on your hands. If you don't think your mean and nasty words are really mean and nasty, you need to be able to come to those around you humbly with repentance and say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Some of you have heard me share in the past that there are four three word sentences that every Christian needs to speak within his most important relationships. There are four three word sentences, husbands and wives, that you need to share with each other on, on a regular basis. You remember what they are? Number one, I am sorry. Number two, I was wrong. Number three, I love you. Number four, please forgive me. If you cannot humbly go to those you're in a relationship with and say, I am sorry. I was wrong. I love you. Please forgive me. If you can't say those four sentences and mean it, don't be surprised if you've got a lot of broken relationships around you. We have to come humbly into our relationships we have to be willing to repent of our sin first to god and secondly to others that we have wronged key number 3 we have to pray for those who have hurt you we have to pray for those that have hurt us jesus will tell us in matthew 5:44 love your enemies Pray for those who persecute you. Don't expect to experience true peace in your relationships. Don't expect to experience reconciliation in your relationships if you're not willing to sincerely love and pray for those who have hurt you. If you're harboring bitterness and anger and resentment towards someone, do not try to make peace with them until first you have prayed until you first spent time in prayer and given that bitterness and that anger and that resentment over to God oh it's so important to pray before you return to that person that you have wronged or before you return to that person who has wronged you key number four act quickly don't allow open wounds to fester Jesus tells us plainly in Matthew 5:25 and by the way, I want you to notice that all four of these keys to becoming a peacemaker that I'm giving you, all four of these key keys are given right by Jesus Christ in this first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Matthew 5, all those steps to becoming a peacemaker are given to us. So key number four is to act quickly. Don't allow open wounds to fester. Jesus tells us plainly in Matthew 5:25, settle matters quickly with your adversary. That's marvelous counsel. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't allow wounds in your relationships to fester. If you want to be a peacemaker, deal with the rifts in your relationships as soon as possible. Take time to pray first, and then as quickly as possible, get to it. And make that right with the person that you have wronged. Make it right with the person who has wronged you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The eighth and final beatitude is in verses 10 through 12, where Jesus talks about how the persecuted are blessed. This is how he says it, beginning in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen as we've already seen every single one of these eight beatitudes is upside down every single one of them is countercultural and counterintuitive but none more so than this last one blessed are the persecuted what a strange and odd thing for jesus to say blessed are the persecuted well this word persecuted is a translation of another greek word that's really hard for me to pronounce i'll take a stab at it didyogamenoi That was probably way off, but that's in the ballpark somewhere, hopefully. Which means to pursue, to hunt, and persecute. And so the ancient Greeks used this word that's translated as persecuted. They used this word of hunters who were hunting down a wild beast out in the forests or out in the, the desert areas. There was a hunter hunting down a wild beast. Now let me ask you, have you ever felt, Like prey, being hunted by a hunter. At some point in your life, you probably have. You felt like people were coming after you. They were hunting you down, and they wanted to knock you down and keep you down. We've all gone through times when we felt felt like we were being persecuted by others around us. None of us honestly enjoys being treated like dirt. None of us like being lied about or being falsely accused of doing things we didn't really do. But Jesus says, when we endure this persecution, we are blessed. If, there's a big if here, if we are persecuted because of righteousness, that's there in verse 10. Or, to say it another way, if we are persecuted because of Christ, that's there in verse 11. So that's a a very important if. If you are insulted for saying or doing something stupid, then that's on you. (laughs) That's on you. There's no reward attached to that kind of insult. If someone chews you up one side and, and down the other because you were rude and you were nasty and you were critical of those people, sorry, you probably deserve it. There's no reward attached to that kind of cursing or insult or persecution. If you get pulled over and you get a ticket from a cop because you blew through a stoplight that was red, sorry, that's on you. That's not persecution when you get that ticket. That's punishment. There's a difference between persecution and punishment. Punishment is deserved. Persecution is completely undeserved. So if you get anything that comes your way and you say, oh, I am so persecuted in this world. I go through so much. And the reality is that you brought much of that onto yourself. Then Jesus makes no promises about getting a reward in heaven. If you get falsely accused of cheating on your time card at work, because in the past you actually did cheat on your time card at work, that's on you. Well, I was falsely accused. I didn't do it this time. No, you didn't do it this time. But you destroyed your own credibility by cheating on your time card in the past. And those around you know you cheated on that time card. So don't be surprised if they accuse you down the road of doing something you didn't do because you've lost all credibility. That's still on you. Now, some would say at this point, well, pastor, what about when I'm insulted or criticized or I'm attacked or I'm persecuted for something I didn't even do? I, d- I didn't deserve it. It was completely undeserved. Even in those cases, Jesus doesn't promise that we'll be blessed unless, and this is where that big if comes into play again, unless it's done for the cause of righteousness or for Jesus Christ. That's when he says, you will be blessed. If you are insulted, if you are persecuted because you were taking a stand for what is right, And for what is righteous, if you are persecuted because you're taking a stand as a follower of Jesus Christ for what he has called you to do, it is then that you will be blessed. If you are persecuted because you are in a right relationship with Christ, and you are simply saying or doing what Jesus Christ says is right, then you will be blessed. Remember, that's what the word righteous means. It means to do what is right. And it's always in the context of relationships. So if you are doing what is right, what Jesus has called you to do, you're doing what is right as you're in that right relationship with him, then Jesus says you will be blessed. Now, these eight beatitudes teach us how to live the right way in the kingdom of heaven. Which begs the question, why would anyone, anyone persecute us insult us, criticize us for living out these glorious beatitudes? Why would anyone in their right mind do that? Why on earth would anyone persecute us for being humble, carrying out that first beatitude? Why would anyone persecute us for mourning over our own sin, that second beatitude? Why would anyone persecute us for being meek and self-controlled? Why would anyone persecute us for hungering for what is right? Why would anyone persecute us for being merciful and compassionate? Why would anyone persecute us for having pure hearts? And why would anyone possibly persecute us for being peacemakers? And the answer in one word is sin. Sin. That's why they do it, and specifically two sins. Number one, the sin of loving self. The Bible calls that pride. And the second sin, the sin of loving pleasure. Love of self and love of pleasure will lead people around you to literally hate you when you carry out these beatitudes, when you do what is right as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. These same two sins... Gripped the hearts of the religious leaders who falsely accused Jesus and yelled on the day he was crucified, crucify him, crucify him. The, these religious leaders refused to let go of their love of self. They refused to let go of their love of pleasure and they were completely threatened by Jesus. They loved themselves. They loved their pleasure. They loved their titles. They loved their positions. They loved their power and their influence in the community. They loved doing what they wanted to do. And Jesus was a threat to all of it. By carrying out these beatitudes himself, he threatened those who refused to carry them out. His humbleness was a threat to their arrogance. His meekness was a threat to their lack of self-control. His deep hunger for God was a threat to their shallow religion. His mercy was a threat to their judgmentalism. His peacemaking was a threat to their divisiveness. Jesus lived out these beatitudes every single day. And Jesus' critics hated it. And Jesus turns to you and me as followers of Christ within his kingdom and says, frankly, your friends and family... And your neighbors and your co-workers and your fellow students oftentimes will hate it as well. They'll hate it as well. The sinful people of this world did it to the prophets who were before you. They did it to me and they'll do it to you too. But be encouraged. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. In heaven. Amen. Amen. It might not make sense to you, but it's true. I guarantee you it's true. It is a blessing to be insulted and persecuted and falsely accused for Jesus. So don't run from persecution. Embrace it for the glory of God. And the advancement of the kingdom of Christ on earth. Welcome persecution. And thank God for the honor. Of suffering shame and insult. For the name of Christ. As you take a stand. For what is right. Lord Jesus thank you. Not just for talking the talk. But walking the walk. Lord Jesus you lived out every one of these eight beatitudes. You were humble. You came with a penitent spirit before God, even though you never sinned once. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you hungered and thirsted for righteousness. I thank you that you were meek and mild and self-controlled, more self-controlled than any man who's ever lived. I thank you that you were merciful. I thank you that you were pure in heart. Thank you for being a peacemaker, healing relationships, building bridges where bridges had been torn down. And thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing yourself to be persecuted for righteousness so that we could be saved. I pray that you would help us to follow in your footsteps today for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom of Christ here on earth in Jesus name. Oh, I love these Beatitudes, and I'm going to continue to bathe in them over these upcoming weeks. I haven't shared this with you yet, but I'm in the process of uh, writing a new book. And that book's on these Beatitudes. And so I'll take a chapter and look at each of these eight Beatitudes individually, and I'll be able to expand on some things that we just didn't have time to cover in these messages this month as I tried to cover two Beatitudes every Sunday. And so, if all goes as planned, uh, that book will be published and available. I'm hoping both in print, uh, in an ebook form, and also th- through an audio book uh, by Easter. And so, that's my goal: try to get this uh, book on the Beatitudes uh, r- r- written and finished and published before Easter. And my working title for this is "The Life Christ Desires." And so, I haven't fully settled on that title yet, but uh, I really have this heart to share this message with you, to go a little deeper in these Beatitudes with you, and I hope you'll get a copy of that here in a few months if you found these messages to be helpful to you this month as you follow Jesus Christ well. Quickly, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ yet and you'd like to become one, it's not complicated. We share the ABCs with you today. A, admit that you are a sinner and need Jesus Christ. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven, washed clean, have a pure heart, have a relationship with God, and C, choose to follow him as your Savior and Lord of your life from this point forward. Jesus says, if you're serious about following me, then you need to be baptized. And so we encourage you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors. There's names and numbers are at the bottom of your screen. Reach out to one of them right now. And let them know that you've made the decision to follow Christ and you want to set up a time to get baptized. You can come to us at the church office or we'll come to you. But we want to help you follow Jesus Christ well. And with that, we're going to take communion together. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, here at Impact Christian Church, we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. I just ask that you be a true believer and follower of Christ. Jesus says you need to be careful when you take of the bread and the juice. Don't take of it in an unworthy manner. Search your heart. Make sure that you're right with God. Make sure that you're asking him to forgive you of your sin. And if so, we encourage you to take the bread and the juice with us. I'm actually having a little trouble getting to my cracker here. It's underneath a layer of cellophane, and it's not cooperating today. So bear with me. Well, this little guy is going to be stubborn. I'll just have to pretend. (laughs) Take of your bread right now. His body broken. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus said, my blood is represented by the juice or the wine. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive us. Wash us clean. In Jesus' name, amen. As you continue to go before the Lord humbly, we encourage you to join us for this final song of the service. Let's lift up our voices and praise our great and awesome God. God bless you as you aim to be a peacemaker in your relationships, as you lead people to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and as you take a stand for truth. And come what may, you don't budge, because you're taking a stand for what is right, for the glory of your Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.